We'll be in 1 Peter 5 today. So if you went to the men's conference, you're like well briefed, up to speed, ready to go. Um, if not, <laughs> uh, today we're finishing the Apostle Peter's first letter to the Corinthians throughout Asia Minor. And it's a letter both of encouragement amid suffering and exhortation unto sanctification. And the first four chapters I was studying before the, the men's conference uh, did their thing. So, but it's, and you might have heard it at various times. It's kind of been all spread out throughout the, the years, I guess now. But 1 Peter 1, our living hope, uh, Jesus paid our way. He proved his power and promise. 1 Peter 2, growing in grace, we're to grow, we're not to just stay messy milk drinkers, right? Not spiritual babies. 1 Peter 3 was pretty hard-hitting, marriage God's way, that it too is a tool, it's a model for our sanctification, it's something that God uses to grow us. And then in 1 Peter 4, he said, enough, enough with our former sin, we're called to new life, sanctified in Christ. And so today, as we get into 1 Peter 5, I pray that the, the words that we sang as we worshiped him are, are true, that we're aiming to grow in him, we're aiming to hear from him, that his word is our daily bread, that we're looking to be changed by it, to, to value it, right? And that we're going to hear and heed the, the call of the chief shepherd. So hopefully you're all at 1 Peter 1, or sorry, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. All right, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So this chapter begins with the Apostle Peter's exhortation to elders, um, to leaders of the church. But this, this passage isn't just for the, the leaders of, of the church, like for the elders, Eddie, Nick, Fred, me. For many reasons, it's for all of us, right? And we should all pay close attention. So first of all, doesn't all scripture teach us? It does. It's beneficial, so why wouldn't we listen? If it really is our daily bread, if we're looking to grow, if we're hoping to grow, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So our first topic is, do you wanna grow in godliness? If you wanna grow in godliness, heed this instruction in righteousness and will be equipped for his good work. Even endure any correction, any reproof that he gives, it's, it's for our good. Pay attention because even though this is exhortation for elders, it's, it's good for all. Secondly, when you think about the inspired author, it's the Apostle Peter, he lists his qualifications, he's an elder, he's a leader, he's writing to elders and leaders, but he's also living his own advice. Didn't he mess up a lot? He did, so I can identify with him, right? You know, I don't know about you guys, but like you think about like all of God's word is good, right? And like the food that you eat, it's good, but maybe you like the steak more than the vegetables, even though the vegetables are still good for you, you know? So this is, this is like steak for me, right? I, I respect, I appreciate, I pay attention to the people that aren't just claiming to be experts, but people in the trenches and the trades living out what they're teaching. And that's, that's, the Peter. that's Peter. He's in the trenches for sure. He's practicing what he's preaching. He walked with Jesus. He was his disciple. He was his apostle. He saw, he experienced firsthand. And so all the Bible's good, but I, I especially love learning you know, directly from Jesus, of course. That's like the, the extra good, like filet mignon. But, you know, um, but it's, it's all inspired by God. But Peter, like he messed up a ton. But he also aimed, aimed, aimed to live all out for Christ, you know, fully 
rightfully confident that he's a partaker of God's ultimate glory, um, given by grace to all who, who love him as, as risen Lord. So if that's your confidence too, listen up to this final chapter of Peter's first letter. So 1 Peter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So he immediately begins with this, this exhortation, this call to shepherd the flock of God. So the first thing we need to understand is who's, who's the flock of God? Yeah, this, this flock that Peter says, they're among the elders of the churches in Asia Minor. And the answer right here, Ezekiel thirty four thirty one, God says, you are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men and I am your God, says the Lord God. So if, if he's our God, then we're his flock. And yes, God compares us to sheep. We may not like that very much, but the question is, are you of God's flock? Like, I know, especially if you have sheep, we don't like that imagery, we don't like that analogy, but God says it, so here it is, right? The reality is that we're, we're sheep, we're in need of our shepherd, and we can resist, we can refute this, this fact all we want, but it doesn't make it any less true. If you look back a little to 1 Peter 2.25, we see the same truth given by God through Peter. He says, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And definitely don't get me started on those, those misbehaving fence-climbing goats, right? I mean, you don't, you don't want to be one of those. Either we're the sheep of his flock or we're sheep going astray. And, and either way, he's calling out to us. John 10, 16 says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So this morning, Jesus is calling. He's laid down his life in our place. Will we hear, will we heed his voice? The question is, do we know him? Will we come when he calls? Like, do you guys have animals that they just, they don't come no matter what? And so, but when they get really desperate, they're really hungry. They're like, hey, here he comes, I'm going. Right, I mean, my, our sheep are pretty hungry right now. So anytime we go down the driveway, they're coming, right? But will we stick by Jesus' side? Or are we gonna rebel? Are we gonna stray from the only one who really cares enough to really be that good shepherd? the only one who saves, the only one who's already laid down his life for us. There's only one perfectly good shepherd, only one way to be saved by being of his flock, the one flock who's saved by the good shepherd's sacrifice, just as he declared in John 10, 11, saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he further clarified in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, I, I ask you guys, are you of God's flock? Yeah. All right, so Jesus, he's the only one that can really save. For verse one here says, okay, Peter's specifically writing to elders. He's, they're, they're charged with the care of a church body. Verse two, called a shepherd the, the God's flock, who's he's entrusted elders to care for. Again, but they apply to anyone, right? These, these principles apply to anyone. Even though you may not think, hey, I'm, I'm a shepherd, has God given you someone to care for? Has he entrusted someone to you? Your kids, your friends, the people in your life. They're, they're gods, and yet you're the one that's communicating with them. You're the one that's near, near to them. You're the one that's entrusted to care, care for his flock in, in some way. So if he's given you children or friends or students or family or disciples that are of his own flock, then he's really entrusted them in some way to us, right? So this is good, godly counsel, good, godly, a good, godly call for us. So shepherd the flock of God. Again, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, 
nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So the first thing, the biggest thing that I see is that, and really the most important thing for me, is that we're under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, right? He's still the chief shepherd. We see this truth in verse four. It, it plainly states that the chief shepherd, he's, he's coming, right? Jesus is coming. He is the chief shepherd, which makes those called to care for others, for his church, for his flock, for his people, for his beloved, under shepherds, under him. So third topic, are you an under shepherd, under Christ? When we look at this truth, it's a truth that's both comforting and in some ways terrifying when you think about it, right? Comforting because when we fall down and fall short, we know that he's the chief shepherd. He cares. He's certainly going to care for his flock even when we fall down on the job, yeah? Yeah. So how well is Jesus going to care and shepherd and safeguard his own? Perfectly. So if you're his, if you're of his flock, take comfort in the fact that he's yours. He's your, your saving shepherd. He's already laid down his life for us. He's the chief shepherd, we're his flock, we're under his care, his covering, his direction. He cares for us as his own. He doesn't leave, he doesn't flee, he doesn't abandon, he loves, he even lays down his life sacrificially, knowing us through and through. So for his, it's extremely comforting that he's the chief shepherd. I mean, who, who's the better shepherd? Nobody, right? He's the one that's, well, yeah. Well, our chief shepherd is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and that's good if you're one of his sheep, because he's Who's going to get past him? No one, right? But it's also, it's kind of terrifying because when you think about it, he's all powerful, he's always present, he's always attentive, but his standard is perfection. And he's the one that, that's over us, right? We're under him, he's over us. So not only does he know everything that we do or don't do, but he knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, right? So there's no hiding. Every thought, every motive, every complaint and grumbling, every wrong-hearted sigh and step, and so when you think about it, like when you're driving on the road and a cop pulls up behind you, are you like, uh, what's going on? You know, now what if he could pull up not only your DMV driving history, but he could pull like the little black box data recorder, not just from your car, but also from your mind and heart, right? That's, that's what it's like working for Jesus, the chief shepherd, right? What if your boss was standing right behind you every moment of every day? Right? Not only can he see your screen or watch and inspect your work to make sure you're not cutting any corners, but he also knows if you're working with 100% of your heart and your strength, if you're all in. Now are you guys getting why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Like he's, he's, watching, he's there, right? Then, but the biggest thing, like realize we're working for and with God, right? Which is way more comforting. He's the chief shepherd. He both commands, he strengthens under shepherds, and it's only by his strength, the Holy Spirit, that any shepherd is able to shepherd well. And throughout the word, we've got a long line and list of shepherds that we can learn from, from, from Abel to Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, right up to Jesus, the perfect shepherd of men. Let's consider King David as both a shepherd of a flock of sheep and then later of God's people. This is from 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. 
So now you guys may be thinking, like, well, that's David. He's, he's a man's man. He's a lion killer. Like, he's the kind of shepherd, like, kind of under-shepherd you want, right? He has it all together. So it makes sense that this guy who's willing to stand up to lions, that he would become king, that he would be one that God chooses to shepherd God's people, right? He stands up to threats like Goliath. But listen as David goes on in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 37. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So even though he is doing his, his job to be a diligent shepherd, diligent under shepherd, he's attesting he knows that God's the one, the chief shepherd's the one who's giving him the strength to do it. He's the one who delivers. So now, again, we return, we've got the, the terror, we've got the comfort, back to the comfort that the chief shepherd, he's here to strengthen you. That cop that's behind you on the road, he's there to back you up. Your boss that's standing behind you while you're working, he's there to build you up, right? God isn't out to get us. If we're his, he's out to help his, his sheep, his under shepherds. And so this truth should be extremely comforting. Of course, he's watching over his flock. He's watching over his church, your household, if he's yours, if you're his. So are we also, though, willing to be under shepherds under him? Are we willing to come under him, under his will, his aim, his desire, his strength? Or are we going to insist on doing it our own way, thinking we know better? How well does that work? Not very well. And that answer, obviously, it makes all the difference in how we're going to react to the fact that he's the chief shepherd, right? Are you going to kick against him or are you going to go along with him? So if we're under shepherds under him, it, it definitely makes sense to follow his commands, to heed his direction, his instruction, um, to do any differently, it's to depart from his design, to deny his will, to disobey him. So let's assess our hearts now and how well we're heeding him as under shepherds. Again, 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Fourth topic, are you a willing and eager overseer? Overseer is episcopio, uh, one who cares for, guards, intently watches over and protects. So obviously a good shepherd has to be watchful. They have to actually oversee, they have to be aware. When you think about it, what happens to the sheep that you lose sight of that you can't see? Isn't that the sheep that gets in trouble? Isn't that the sheep that gets picked off? Yeah. First of all, consider such a sheep, right? If you can't see it, why can't you see it? Chances are it's not right there in the midst of the flock. It's going out on its own. Otherwise, it'd be easy to see. So right away, the fact that this sheep is out of sight tells us something about the sheep. It tells us that something's wrong. Something has happened to separate it from the flock either injury or illness, attack or entrapment, getting lost or, or somebody or something leading it astray, or maybe it's just one of those wayward sheep that loves to go exploring wherever it wills. Either way, the solo sheep's in way more danger on its own, which is why the chief shepherd instructs us to be alert and diligent, watchful overseers. Let me pose a, a hypothetical scenario to you guys, and maybe it, it'll hit close to home if you're, if you're a parent of kids. Imagine a whole bunch of kids at a pool party. Do you think they're safer with their parents watching them or a summer minimum wage lifeguard? <laughs> Obviously the parents, right? My kids are going to be way safer when I'm watching because I'm a willing and eager overseer. I'm going to be a million times more alert, diligent, watchful because I care for them, because I know them. 
I'm going to notice if one of them is out of sight because I know what they look like, right? I know them. I know their weaknesses. I know their tendencies. So I'm going to be watching Caleb because he's the wayward one. I, no, I'm, I'm looking out for them. I'm watching intently. He's the little one too. So he gets, he thinks he's big. He gets into trouble. He does things that he doesn't think through. He's like, I don't know how to swim, but I'm jumping in. No. Um, yeah, I'm going to be way faster to dive into the pool or put a stop to the, the dumb, dangerous decisions that they make, right? Without hesitation. You think about it when you care, when you know someone, don't you have a lower threshold before you inconvenience yourself to intervene? Yeah, if you care about them. They're my kids. I love them beyond measure. And I'm not ripping on summer lifeguards, but I'm not just some hireling putting my hours in for compulsion or compensation like verse 2 mentions, right? Or worse yet, just sitting up there asleep on the job, you know, rocking out to music or whatever, not really looking, just eyes glossed over. So a loving parent is hopefully an example of a truly willing and eager overseer. An under-shepherd, under-Christ, should be the same, spiritually speaking. Listen again to the words of our chief shepherd to better understand this difference. This is from John 10, 11 through 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I am known by my own. So the key component here is the overarching costly care of the Christ-like under-shepherd. The good shepherd is willing to fight off the wolves despite wounds or even death. The hireling says, ah, they're not paying me enough for that. Or I didn't sign up for that. The difference here is the motivation either love and ownership or something way worse, right? Peter calls out compulsion. He calls out dishonest gain as the contrasting motivations in verse two. Compulsion here is anagostos, which literally means out of obligation. This is the mindset that says, I don't really wanna do this, but I guess I have to. I guess I have to take care of those lousy sheep. I guess I have to shepherd and serve. I guess I have to teach and train and feed and help. I guess I have to check in or pray. That's not the heart that God calls us to have. The other alternative, dishonest gain. I'm not even going to try to say this in the original. It's literally a shameful, greedy gain, right? It's disgracefully doing something solely for the sake of financial profit or some other advantage. It's the mindset that says I'm doing the bare minimum to get paid or I'm only going to do it as long as I get my way. My recognition, my respect, my power, my control, my approval. God here doesn't want under shepherds to serve out of obligation or out of greed. Because when our hearts are all wrong, it's bad for the shepherd and it's bad for the sheep. Either we're going to end up despising and resenting the sheep that we have to shepherd, or even worse, if we ever get to the place of seeing God's sheep as the means to an end, aren't we eventually going to abandon or mistreat or even eat God's sheep? Yeah. So God wants his sheep tended by under shepherds who are willing and eager overseers. Willing and eager seers who are grounded in God's love, who see that we get to do this. John 21, 16 says, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. God's love for us, our love for him, has to be the basis by which we do everything for God by which we're a willing, eager overseer. 
intently watching over, tenderly tending, knowing, noticing, going after the lost and wayward, the missing, struggling, drowning sheep that God's placed in your care. Because it's still God's sheep, but he's placed it into our care to take care of. All right, you guys with me so far? Yeah. All right, so how many want to grow in godliness? Only like half of you guys. I'm going to take a picture. No. All right. How many really don't like being called sheep? Uh, okay, a few. All right, so if you don't like being called sheep, then be a willing and eager overseer, right? Be a helpful, watchful leader and protector. Be an under-shepherd under him. How many of you like leading or managing or being the boss? All right, that's kind of a trick question, right? Now consider why. Like, what's your motivation for leading? What's the heart behind why you lead, by, behind why you boss? Again, in your household, at work, you, you think back and like, oh, man, I was doing that for the wrong reason. Or maybe, hey, no, I, my heart's really right before the Lord, right? The motivation makes all the difference. It, it really, it's what's behind what drives what we do, how we do it, how eagerly we do it. Realistically, it shows through the actual day-to-day execution of our, our words and actions, like even our facial expressions, our body language, yeah? Yeah. Our motivation motivates how we treat people. That's why it's called motivation, right? And so that's what Peter continues to address here. He goes into the heart behind how we under-shepherd. So remember, Peter, James, and John, they're like the, the leading three apostles. They're like the inner circle. So surely Peter's going to give us some great guidance straight from his time with the chief shepherd, right? Yeah, you know where I'm going with this? All right, here's his instruction for under-shepherds and leaders, for willing and eager overseers. Verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter here, inspired by God, says, be leaders, not lords. Be teachers, not tyrants. Be servants, not slave drivers. Our fifth topic is lovingly lead by example. This is critical. Jesus is our chief shepherd, and he, he taught this truth repeatedly in word and action and example. So pay attention. I really want to make sure that we get this part. Listening to Jesus teaching James and John, they're in this, this passage, they're scheming with their mom to become Jesus' left and right-hand men. You, you probably know it well. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give him his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus told them, and he tells us, if you want to lead, then serve. If you want to be the best leader, Love serving others so much, making it such a huge priority and practice in your life that somebody might mistake you for a slave. Isn't this the opposite of lording it over people? Of just loving to tell them what to do but not lead by example? If you're willing to lay down your rights, your dignity, your status, your esteem like Jesus did for their sake, for their good, that's when you'll be a servant to them. That's when you'll be a servant leader to them. And again, Jesus didn't just say it. He, he lived it perfectly from the upper room all the way to the cross. Even after Jesus' instruction, like the apostles, they still weren't getting it, right? So this is, I mean, he has to teach this lesson over and over again for, for them that are walking with them. So it, it makes sense that we would really hammer this home. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's laying down his, his rights to serve these selfish sheep. John 13, 12 through 17. 
So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. How much more of a hands-on example did the apostles need? There was Jesus, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, down, washing their feet, serving in such a lowly way for their sake. Hopefully so they finally got it, so it would break through, so they would remember his example and emulate it. Instead of constantly trying to one-up each other or lord it over one another, Jesus, he certainly instructed this, right? He truthfully taught both tenderly and at times with a fervent righteous fury when needful and fruitful. But more than that, he perfectly lived what he preached. He's the word become flesh. He's our Lord. He's our leader. He's our loving teacher. He's our perfect example on earth. He's our selfless, sacrificial servant savior who laid down his life in our place for our sake. He's the only true and good perfect shepherd who paid our debt by dying in our place. This is what leadership looks like. This is what he's calling us to. This is love. Jesus had every right to lord it over them. He has every right to lord it over us. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's all powerful. He has all authority. He has all might and majesty, worthy of every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that he's Lord. And yet, our Lord humbled himself to lovingly lead by example in word, in life, in death. Our God and Savior serving selflessly and sacrificially. It's totally contrary to every corrupt and power-hungry practice of this dark and fallen world. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So under shepherds should lovingly lead by example. For us, how, how are we serving in a lowly, humble, sacrificial way? In your family, at work, here, wherever he leads you, look at, look at the things that you're willing to do. Look at your heart. Are you willing to serve your, your kids sacrificially? Are you willing to serve your husband, your wife sacrificially? When you're at work, are you doing everything excellently as unto him? Not so concerned about the credit, but living by his example, doing what he says. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Sixth topic, under shepherds receive the crown of glory. I look at this crown, that crown of glory that doesn't fade, and I ask myself, is it literal or is it figurative? And I think it's both literal and figurative. I believe it's both literal and figurative. When you look at many, many of the, the, yeah, many seemingly figurative concepts become physically literal in eternity. And it's, it's interesting how, how that works. It's kind of like a uh, foreshadowing. Consider Jesus' both figurative and literal statement about being the light of the world, right? John eight twelve. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Was, was Jesus literally shining in that moment? No, but he's going to. Here on earth, he's our guiding light. He shines through us by the Holy Spirit in us. 
which is why in Matthew 5.14, he says that we're the light of the world, but we're not literally shining. But in eternity, Jesus is also the literal light of the world, his glory shining unfiltered. Revelation 21.23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. He, his glory will be unfiltered. It will be literally shining out. In the very next verse, we read of saved saints, kings of the earth with glory too. Uh, Revelation 21, 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it, bring into eternity. Not very much. Only him shining through us. Only our good works in Christ, done with pure motive, which are not burnt up, remain our spirit-empowered walk and works of righteousness. For me, that's, that's only that extremely small sliver of truly pure and undefiled spirit-empowered Christ-likeness. It's like this much of like my whole life, right? What small percentage of the time do we actually listen to him and do his will wholeheartedly without ulterior motives, which Jesus says he will reward? Revelation twenty-two twelve. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So what is the crown of glory given by the chief shepherd that does not fade? On earth, it's righteousness, it's Christ-likeness, it's being sanctified, it's becoming more like our Lord, becoming more like the chief shepherd. Proverbs 16.31 tells us, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. So not just if you have gray hair, but if it is found in the way of righteousness. So not literal gray hair, but every moment he gives us, and if we have a long life, hopefully we'll, we'll have, depending on our motives, right? We'll have more, more pure, pure motive works, right? And for eternity, like we get a literal crown of glory, his glory in us that we can then cast at his feet. It's his righteousness and glory eternally, literally, visibly shining as a crown upon our heads. Isaiah 62, 3, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So faithful under-shepherds receive the crown of glory at his return. Do you want to have something to give to Jesus? Some small part of his glory shining through our lives? We should. As we continue our text, we learn more about being faithful under-shepherds. This is verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Ouch, here we go again. We got Peter a lot in this book, stressing godly submission once again. Submission first to God above all with Christ as our ultimate example. Also, we had submission to godly government and authority. We had godly submission within marriage and for children to their parents to teach and train. And now we have the younger in the Lord submitting to the older, more experienced. It, it, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense to heed the good godly counsel of those who have walked a long way with him, yeah? Many miles, many years in God's ways, learning hard lessons along the way. But should younger people in the Lord submit to elders walking contrary to God's will? Nope. It's, it's just, yeah. It's just, I don't want to go back into all of First Peter, but it's just like those other concepts with godly government, you know, submission to God first, and if someone's leading you contrary to God's ways, not submitting. Again, again, the silver-haired head, of, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. So age and experience in righteousness in godly ways are good, but not all gray hair is glorious. So God gives us this specific direction for a correction of, of potentially wayward elders as too. Like there, there is, there's a respect. So First Timothy 5, 1 through 2, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, 
younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So that's, that's exactly where our text goes, not excusing any from mutual submission. So verse 5b, or second part of verse 5, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So here, God is requiring a, a mutual saintly submission, even of elder under-shepherds. Our seventh topic, we are to be under-shepherds humbly in submission. Are we submitting or are we insisting on our own ways? You look at God's purpose in all of this in verse 7, is that we would be exalted in due time. If we're not willing to submit to one another under him, under the chief shepherd, are we going to be exalted in due time? No, we're working against him. Like our last topic, that we would be God's glorious, beloved children and under shepherds. And now he gives us a warning as well. If we pridefully refuse to submit to him and to one another in godliness, end of verse 5, he will resist the proud. He's against those refusing to submit. But he gives grace. He gives fully unmerited favor to the humble, to those willing to mutually submit in him. It's a huge part of being a good, effective under-shepherd for our chief shepherd, humbly allowing him to use one another, right, the church, to shape, to refine, to forge, to sharpen, to strengthen each other. That's a gift that he gives us in one another, in godliness, in righteousness together, to become more like him. So as under-shepherds, humbly in submission. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You guys might think that our topic would be carefree under shepherds, but that's not our topic. While, while we are at peace rather than anxious, that peace comes from our supreme confidence in this infallible fact that the chief shepherd cares for us, right? You couple his infinite care for us with his infinite power and presence and knowledge, if it weren't for the fact that we're, we're not just sheep of his flock, but also shepherds, then our topic might be like confident, carefree sheep. But what's an under-shepherd's job? Care. To care for him, to be watchful, to provide care under him as willing overseers, as loving examples. So now God gives us this, this warning of what we face as his under-shepherds. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sheep can get into enough trouble on their own without an adversary, without like a mountain lion roaring around, right? We've got to be watchful under shepherds on guard against an enemy that desires to devour. God gives us the truth straight up. There are those that seek to devour. On our own, what hope would we have against a savage lion, against Satan? None. We'd be afraid. We'd run from every roar. We'd be caught. We'd be chewed up but we're not alone, which is why God says to cast our cares upon him, not just as like a carefree attitude, but confident in his care for us. And in the next sentence, he tells us to be sober, to be vigilant, to fight with full faith in him. So our ninth topic, or eighth topic, I'm losing count here. I changed my topic numbers, so yeah. Eighth topic, under shepherds, confident, sober, vigilant. So we listen to God's direction. We listen to his battle call here. For us as his under shepherds. Verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we're to resist the devil knowing that we're in God's corner. 
full of faith in him, fully confident that our creator cares for us. Under shepherds, plural, meaning more than one. Again, he gives us the gift of one another as the church. We're not out there on our own. Brothers and sisters, saints saved by grace. Again, only if we're of his flock are we watching out for you. You're like that, that wayward goat that the mountain lion's going to eat up. But if we're under shepherds, under our chief shepherd, we're not alone. Even though, yeah, we might suffer the same attacks as brethren throughout the world, how can we be defeated when we stand together as his church, but more than that, in his care for us? We've still got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant. If we cloud our minds and go to sleep on the job, are we going to survive well? No. To be sober is to be sound-minded. It's to be alert. It's to be aware. It's to not be impaired. How much easier is it for the devil to deceive, to devour the drunk or the drugged out? Infinitely easier. That's exactly why God's warning us here to be sober and to be vigilant. Substances enslave, sin enslaves. They're all snares. They're all tools of Satan to destroy, to deceive, to disrupt, to weaken, to mislead, to pick off, to break you down, to isolate you, to pick you off. His aim is to lie, to steal, to destroy God's good plans for you, to destroy you. So be sober, be vigilant, situationally aware, not asleep, not naive, knowing the threat that's out there, on guard. Don't think that you're all good as like this, this lone shepherding it. I mean, it's, it's a lousy place to be when the enemy arrives, when he attacks. That's why he gives us one another. I, for one, I know I want that, I need that accountability of fellow under shepherds who are sober, who are vigilant too. Right? I want them to call out compromise. I want them to lovingly point out any part of my lifestyle that shows I'm listening to the enemy's lies. How about you? Do you have people in your life that'll do that for you? Do you want fellow sober and vigilant under shepherds watching your back, backing you up, striking by your side in prayer with godly counsel, spurring you on when you're shirking? How about helping you grow in godliness and strength and might, exhorting and encouraging one another? Do you want the comfort, do you want the care of confident, faithful fellow under shepherds too? Soothing in the midst of any suffering that you're experiencing as you resist the enemy. With reminders of God's word, his care, his love, his goodness in the midst of the struggle. Especially if you're healing or recovering from one of the enemy's assaults. Do you also want to be, are you willing to be, are you eager to be that confident, sober, vigilant under-shepherd for others too? If you've, that's a mouthful, but it's true. Verse 10. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ninth topic, final topic. Under shepherds graciously called by Christ. Here's the reality. We're, we're lost sheep going astray. We've insisted on our own sin at some point. And the reality is that we fully deserve to reap the consequences of what we've sown for ourselves. What happens to the willful sheep insisting on stupid sin? Dead, eaten, tangled, lost. I mean, you, have you guys seen, like we've got this one sheep that keeps flipping over, it's upside, anyway. Um, <laughs> Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like realize that you're, I should have brought a picture of it, but it, it's several times recently it's been stuck upside down and on its own there is no hope for it. The other sheep around it are just like, oh, 
ah, what, what you doing? Yeah. And it, it's like it lays down on its side and it's on the hill and it just, whoop. and unless somebody comes and turns it over, it's going to die, right? That's, realize that that's us, like belly up, vulnerable. It's like, hey, mountain lion, come, come take a bite of me, right? That's, that's what we deserve. And yet our chief shepherd, he's graciously calling us. He's graciously reaching out to us in the midst of our sin while we're stuck, while we're tangled up. He comes to save and to rescue. Are you going to receive it or are you just going to kick him off? I mean, are you going to fight him when he's trying to turn you over? The reality is that we're, we're dead in our trespasses. We're fully on our way to getting devoured by the devil. And Jesus, the chief shepherd, in the midst of that, he shed his blood in our place. He laid down his life so we can be saved. He's called us to eternal life by grace through faith in his, in him as Lord. We didn't do anything to earn that, to deserve that. Though he died, he rose again as proof of his power and promise. He's resurrected. He's called us, though we have done nothing to deserve it or earn our way. Are we going to heed his call? Are we going to turn from our sin, our self-will, thinking we can tough it out on our own to become his beloved flock, his under-shepherds even, confident in his care, growing in glory? We, we read here that this life is still going to involve suffering. He will establish. He will strengthen and settle us. That's what it says right here in verse 10. Every day, hopefully, we're going to become more like our loving Lord, more like our caring chief shepherd. When we get to be with him forever, we're going to be fully like him. We're going to be beholding his glory. He's going to be the literal light, unfiltered. Are we going to shine with anything? Are we, are we going to be there? His perfect, wonderful, glorious, and gracious rule and reign are going to endure forever. That's what verse 11 tells us. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. No more sin, no more suffering, no more Satan, no more death or illness or disease. This is his promise to us. It's a proven promise, proven by his resurrection as the first fruit. It's our great hope as under shepherds graciously called by Christ. As Peter closes out his letter here, Gary would come on up and the team. Um, this message is one that's inspired by God through Peter um, through Sylvanus, who you probably better know as Silas, like Silas and Timothy that went around with them. It's passed down. It's been preserved by God's church, his under-shepherds. Verse 12, by Sylvanus, Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. This is John Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. So we've got Peter's letter. It's passed on by people just like you and me. These are flawed people who fell down. They even abandoned like John Mark. It's the early church. It's a ragtag bunch, so we fit right in, right? Yeah, under shepherds who endured. They're sober. They're vigilant through much persecution and suffering because they were strengthened by the chief shepherd and his gift of the helper of the Holy Spirit. This is the call of the chief shepherd. Verse 14, peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, you are fully awesome. We long to see the splendor, the glory of your might shining out for all eternity, Lord. I pray for any here that don't know you, Lord, that today would be the day that we would realize, that they would realize that they're that, that sheep stuck upside down, Lord, in need of rescue and it just fully incapable of getting ourselves out of that situation, Lord. We thank you for your power, for your might, Lord, that there's none more powerful than you, that the enemy has no hope as long as we're yours, Lord. I, 
I pray that you'd spur us on, that you'd wake us up, Lord, that you'd show us that area of, of our life where we're not rightly being under shepherds for you, Lord, where we're not having the right motive, where we're not just rightly stewarding and, and safeguarding and being sober and vigilant for our kids, for our loved ones, Lord, for those that you've given into our care to disciple, Lord. I, I pray that you show us, and I pray that you strengthen us by your spirit today, Lord, and always. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.